We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, bringing you the hottest breaking stories from the Camp No. I'm Dan Hilton from the Barca Blog team in New York, and I'm joined across the ocean, as always, by Frances Tomas, as seen on ESPN and BarcaBlog.com. You can follow our show with the show notes at tbpod.link backslash 43. That is, again, tbpod.link backslash 43. Frances, what do we have going on today? In the Barcelona Podcast 43, we're going to focus on the Olympiacos game that Barca won 3-1. Um, just just yesterday. Then we're going to move on to something that we're really, 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 really... Is that too many reallys? We're really, really, really excited to do. Um, it's uh, all-time Barcelona 11 that Jeff suggested over three months ago. So we finally got around to it. Thank you, Jeff, for, for the idea. Um, I think you're going to enjoy the show today. And then we're going to move on to a quick-fire listener question rounds. The Barcelona podcast 43 starts right here. And we start with that game against Olympiacos, and we're not going to spend too much time on it, but I think it should be said, before I give you the stats away from that, in my opinion, Frances, watching this one, it to me seemed like Barcelona's most dominating and best match of the season in a place where even when they went down to 10 men, it didn't ever feel like the other team had a single shot in that game from minute one all the way to the final whistle. It was, of course, a 3-1 win, which, as I said, felt like much more than 3-1, with an 18th minute own goal from Demetrius Nicolaou being the opening goal. And then it was all the way until after in the latter half of the first half that Gerard Piquet got his second yellow for a handball for what was a ball that wound up in the back of the net. And so he gets sent off with a red card. So then in the second half, down to 10 men, some Lino Messi magic for his 100th goal in UEFA competition scores on a free kick. And it was just a rocket of a shot, too much for the goalkeeper to do anything about. Three minutes later in the 64th minute, Luis Digne on a cross from Messi that went past Paulinho and Iniesta. It was supposed to go to one of those two, but instead it's Digne who collects and then takes one dribble and a banger of a shot into the bottom corner of the net that went through a defender or two and passed the goalkeeper. In the 89th minute, Olympiacos gets a consolation goal on the head of Demetrius Nicolaou, and well, with just one center back in the game, of course, Javier Maserano did come on as well, but with down one man in the box at the end of the game as well, with the game already wrapped up, 
no surprise that a consolation goal was scored. Your stats for that game, 70% possession to 30% in favor of Barcelona, even with 10 men. That's what's remarkable to me, is that even with an additional man, Olympiacos still 30% of possession. It was 25 shots to 3 and 11 shots on target to just one, that being the one goal. So those are just some of the stats, a dominating performance from Barcelona. And I think we should start, Frances. We'll get through them quickly, but let's hear your five-star players of the game. Let's go for that. Um, I don't know if we should start doing something else, but I think it would be quite appropriate for this this time round. So I'm going to start with the zero stars. Zero stars go to Piquet. Um, he was sent off, and that could have really, really definitely hurt the team much more if our rival had been, let's face it, a little bit better than Olympiacos was, which, to be honest, they weren't very good at all. And I, I am surprised that they even made the Champions League. Uh, they're fifth in the Greek um, league at the moment and it really felt a bit like a training game for Barca yesterday given the really terrible performance that Olympiacos um, did show even against, against 10 men um, back to Piquet it was a really clumsy mistake you know I've been playing football for many many years um, and I do understand that you know when you're a defender you go sort of forward desperately and you really do try to score and whenever you're in front of the goal you do all you can to you know have your moment of glory because in a way you're just at the back of the pitch. Um, I've been a defender all my life as well. Uh, you're there at the back of the pitch and uh, you're seeing everyone else having plenty of fun up, up there. But um, yeah, scoring with your hand is not very clever. He did it against Madrid in La Supercopa as well. And um, to be honest, as I said, if he had been against better competition, then we would have been here ruining the fact that Barca maybe couldn't have gotten the three points as a result. Um, and to be honest, even even having a yellow card already, and, and the first card was pretty silly as well. It was just a foul right in front of the Barca bench when there wasn't really much danger going on. So both yellow cards respond to clumsy and you know lack of concentration that was quite alarming and a clear contrast with someone like Umtiti, for example. Um, before we go into the one star, two stars, etc., Dan, what do you think of Piquet's reflex act or just basically his red card? What are your thoughts? I don't think I have much to add as to what you said. I thought he had a poor game. And the more concerning big picture thing is to me, now this is, as we had mentioned too, he wasn't the best against Atletico Madrid either. So now this is back-to-back poor performances from Piquet. And I wonder if it's correlated to the time he spent on international break with Spain and whether or not all those negative things got into his head. Yeah, I don't know. I think that that could play a factor. Um, let's just hope that he gets better in the next game. The next game in the Champions League is obviously not going to play. But um, we support Piquet for everything that he's done and he's still doing. But um, I think we need to call a spade a spade, uh, which is a very British sentence, which is call, call it for what it is, um, even if it's not very popular. So let's hope that Piquet is better in the next game. So with one star, let's start with a one star getter. That's Sergi Roberto. He was played instead of Semedo again, and that's becoming a trend in the last couple of or three games. I thought he was really associated, especially with Deulufeu during the first half. He was pushing forward desperately and very freely, to be honest, because he wasn't really challenged defensively at all, even when Barca were down to 10 men. His vision did help provide Deulufeu with endless opportunities of uh, going one-to-one against his marker, which is the Olympiacos left-back. And to be honest, they didn't even help him out. You know, the Lufe was having a, such a great game that, you know, you would have thought that the Greek team would double team him in some areas. But 
that wasn't the case. And um, Sergio Roberto was crucial for De Olufeu to have so many advantages up front. With two stars is Samuel Untiti. He's completing a fantastic seven days because he was a man of the match in a previous podcast, which is which I really strongly recommend uh, our listeners go back to listen. That is tvpod.link forward slash 42. Um, Untiti led Barca's backline once more, particularly after Piquet was sent off. Um, he was quick when tackling, he was vastly superior in the air, and he intercepted any Greek attacks before they actually started. I thought that once again he tackled uh, with plenty of stamina. He was a leader once again, you know, and he had another superb game which cements his case for a new contract because let's face it, we don't want MTT to leave us for a 60 million fee, which is currently the amount of his release clause. So let's just hope that the board saw that out fairly quickly. Um, I've been listening to some Catalan radio today. Um, obviously, I don't know how many Catalan speakers we've got listening to the podcast, but it's called El Club de la Midjanit, which is the Midnight Club. It's a program that's aired in Catalan TV after midnight. Actually, it starts at 11 o'clock local time, Barcelona time. And um, I hear that on a podcast every morning now. And yeah, they were talking about the fact that um, Umtiti was only signed last year and whether or not he deserves a new contract. And my argument to that is, yes, he does, because he was signed not as a regular starter like he is now. And that contract does need an upgrade. And obviously he's getting paid less than Mascherano at the moment. He's getting paid around the same amount as Fermalen actually does. So undoubtedly that contract needs looking at. And let's just give him a sensible release clause this time because 60 million euros for a top five defender in European football is not very clever at all. So let's sort that out. With three stars, we've got Paulinho. And I am very happy to say that we probably were wrong in the summer um, and a little bit too hypercritical. And I am very, very pleased to be proved wrong. And he is proving me or us wrong on a daily basis um, and yesterday against Olympiacos he definitely definitely did his job. He had five shots on goal, he had four ball recoveries and he intercepted two balls that were crucial. He rewarded Valverde's trust because he was included in the starting 11 with a sharp performance at both ends of the pitch. Um, he adds something different that the vast majority of, of players in our squad don't necessarily have. He recovered plenty of balls and he was instrumental from beginning to end. In, in a way, he was unlucky because he didn't score. He did hit the post with a really inch-perfect header that most of our players just couldn't do because of uh, their complexion, because of their um, different football style. You know, uh, Paulinho has proven to be a player who definitely likes to zoom forward and um, not interchange positions with Messi or Suarez, but getting into those spaces that they generate or they just no one else really seems to see. I think that he was by far the most eager midfielder to drive the team forwards. And Olympiacos, his game against Olympiacos was remarkable once again. He is proving Valverde right and the board also right. I don't like saying that, but I think he is for having signed them. So, um, yeah, Dan, how are you feeling so far? What are your thoughts um, with the one, second and third star? You know, I'd like to make an argument to have Paulinho higher, but obviously we know who the two top getters are. But Paulinho, as you were talking about his stats, absolutely speak for themselves. 98% passing accuracy in that game, 111 passes completed, four long balls recovered, three key passes in the game, and 
what I like most about seeing him play yesterday, you'd mentioned that header. He is an aerial threat that I don't think Barca have seen from their midfield in quite some time. Of course, Xavi, Iniesta, and even Busquets at his superior height are not aerial threats in the way that Paulinho is. He just knows how to make those near post runs in the box and make himself dangerous and put himself on the end of it. And he's done that against all levels of competition. We saw it in that game against Atletico Madrid late, and he's been doing it all season long. So I've been really impressed with what Paulinho has added. And we were worried about what it would be like when he was not just a 15-minute sub, but what would happen when he was playing and starting in matches. And he's been just as good in that time too. So he's fit like a glove. Apparently his teammates really like him as well. And I'm pleased with what he has. And speaking of players who've surprised us, I think you should probably move on to your number two. And I have a good idea that he might be a gentleman that we were worried about when he came back over the summer but uh, he has had his best game so far yesterday. As our listeners probably know, we don't necessarily talk about the Stargetters before our podcast starts recording, but I think it's fairly obvious. So with four stars, we've got Gerard de Olufeo. He was far more incisive than usual, and he was straying to, to, his, to, to himself, you know, because he was, um, he's a La Masia graduate, obviously, but he was, for many, many years, the most promising star coming out of La Masia. And uh, because of that, maybe, um, he sort of got to his head a little bit. But um, I was listening uh, to an interview that he did yesterday as well after the game, and um, it, it really did shock me about the fact that he was very critical of himself. You know, he had such a great game yesterday, and he was saying things like, well, I just have to be me and play to my strengths. And when he says, I have to be me, that means that I have to play to my strengths. I have to do what I am here for. You know, he's not someone like Pedro who can run back and defend and, you know, spend the whole game doing that and then press forward. He's not that type of player. He's not someone who's going to play conservatively and get the ball to, to, say, Suarez or Messi whenever he can and sort of play second fiddle. He is a protagonist. He is someone who just wants to be the star of the show. And that is what he needs to try to do. He said something as well, which um, made me made me think. He said, I must score more. Well, obviously, yes, he does. You know, it's very clear. If you're a forward playing at Barca, you have to score more goals. But for someone to, someone that young, someone who in a way should be promoting himself um, in order to be a established starting eleven, he was very critical in front of the cameras. And it really did show me that he has matured a lot from the boy that, I don't know if our listeners have seen it, but um, if you Google Deulufeo dancing or Deulufeo hardcore, that's the Spanish word for uh, music, um, and sound effects are, are, are brought to you by our Patreons. <laughs> Thank you, Patreons, for that. Um, yeah, so he was very silly at the time he was just a boy growing up and uh, because of his spotlight i think he made a lot of mistakes and had a lot of people looking at him in a way the, the wrong way um, and, and making assumptions but he really has matured he's in a different stage of his life he sees coming back to barcelona as a second chance that let's face it not many people actually do get and he was talking very highly of all his teammates and his words were very very humble and on the pitch he was doing what he was saying. You know, he was relentless. Um, he obviously only played 45 minutes and he was a victim of Piquet's nonsensical sending off. Um, but I really do think that Deulofeo did prove his worth and uh, should undoubtedly be in the starting eleven 
until Dembélé comes back and then he should be challenging Dembélé for a starting spot. Um, bit of an aside here, if I'd been Valverde, I wouldn't really have brought in Mascherano. Um, I would have kept three defenders at the back. I would have subbed off um, sub, I would have subbed off nobody. You know, I would have probably included someone else as the game went by. Maybe I would have brought in Dennis, for example, who hasn't played much lately. But undoubtedly, um, a 3-3-3 against a team that was never going to attack anyway would have been really good. And I think that Ernesto Valverde was quite conservative um, and, 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 you know, behaved in a way as if he had been the Athletic de Bilbao coach, securing the 1-0 victory at home against Olympiacos. Uh, but at Barca, against Olympiacos, you really should have gone for a 3-3-3 and the game would have been still ours. You know, the three points were never, ever, ever going to be in danger. So, Frances, you took the words right out of my mouth. Delefeu was the unlucky one when PK got the, the yellow card to the red card. So I think it's PK who probably deserves an apology to Delefeu after that one. And while Valverde didn't have to take off Delefeu, that felt like the game that he that the young Spanish winger was finally going to get his first goal, and it was disappointing that he didn't. And I'll give away our your number one. Your number one is Lionel Messi. And I was going to say, going into this conversation, if he hadn't come off the field... I think I would have argued with you that Delafeu in the first half was better than Messi was. I think Messi just wasn't getting on the end of balls in the normal way he did. But then, of course, he's the first star because not only does Messi's work rate pick up in the second half, but he's the one who not only gets the free kick goal, but in that second half, as the game is nearing its end, he helps get the second goal on an assist. I mean, the third goal, excuse me, on an assist. And he was just adventurous and the Messi that we know. But as I said, the first 45 minutes, it was Delefeu, but then Messi is Messi, and it's hard to argue that he's the number one star getter. Yeah. So, you ruined my surprise then. <laughs> With five stars, is Lionel Andres Messi. Um, it does seem like routine, but how blessed are we all to have Messi in our team and having someone so great so often being at playing at such a you know, unimaginable level to pretty much anybody else. He's the best player in history and he did it again. He scored his 100th European goal um, he, with an inch-perfect free kick that the Greek goalkeeper had nothing to do about. Um, he provided another assist to Dinier, who you know could feel a little bit hard done by for not getting any stars today. But um, if there had been a, another star for him, it would have been Dinier, because I thought he was pretty good as well. Uh, I don't think he was spectacular, but let's face it, Dinier never really is spectacular. He just does a job in a way like Adriano used to do, uh, minus the injuries. So that, that that's an improvement. Well, Frances, with Dinier, I, it was weird to me. I, I was watching it, and then I started to focus more and more on him. It felt to me as if his teammates were kind of not sending the passes his way that they normally did for Jordi Alba. And I don't know if that was just me conjecturing that, but it just felt like he just doesn't have that chemistry with his teammates because he doesn't play enough. So in the live game action, it just felt like he was not in the positions initially that his teammates wanted him in, but because of the opponent, he was able to put himself in positions after a second or two. But at the Barcelona level and how quickly they play, that can put you behind the eight ball. I agree. I realized that too. Um, and that is something that I wanted to bring up uh, a little bit later on, but you've said it now, which is which is obviously fine. Um, yes, I thought that respect wasn't necessarily shown to him, and uh, I'm gonna sort of unpick that. In football, as in with everything you do in life, really, you need to earn respect. And I think that what happened with Dinier 
is that the teammates don't necessarily trust him or respect him as much as they do to Jordi Alba. Um, so whenever he plays, and I don't know if it's, um, I don't think it is part of his lack of um, playing time. I think it's the fact that when he gets the ball, he doesn't always deliver back in the sense or in the way that Jordi Alba does. So when you've got the ball, you need to make a decision in terms of microseconds. And if you're, say, Iniesta, and you see Dinier zooming past you, but you see someone coming through the middle, for example, Messi, then the choice is going to be pretty, pretty obvious. But if the one coming by you is Jordi Alba, you know that that ball is going to get back and it's going to sort of, in a way, be added value because Jordi Alba's got it. So, yeah, I do realise and I do see the point about Dinier not being trusted, but I think trust needs to be earned and that needs to be done through training sessions. And in a way, that's the hierarchy of football um, that I've experienced myself for many, many years. And I can tell you there will be players in my teams, hopefully none of my previous teammates are listening to this. There will be teammates that um, I would pretty much never pass the ball to unless they were, it was obvious that I had no other choice. And this is simply because, not because I don't love them as a person, because, you know, everyone is different, etc. But it's just, I thought that if I passed it to somebody else, they would be able to add more value and do something better with the ball than that person that was out wide that, you know, most of the time wouldn't be able to control it or would be dispossessed in a minute. Or in a way, it would never get back to me either. So... Yeah, that's a little bit of a, a little bit of a background for someone who's played football for a little while. Uh, I know a lot of our listeners have as well. So um, if you've got any comments on that or any other thing that we say in the podcast, please go and comment. Um, you can use our Twitter, you can use our Facebook, use whatever you want. Uh, we're probably gonna pick it up anyway. So back to Messi. <laughs> um, I thought Messi was exceptional once again. He he cemented his legacy as the best player in football history as he already has and he does on a weekly and bi-weekly basis and I really want to mention as well he was so desperate to set off Andre Gomez in the end I don't know if you realize that but um, at the end of the game he was trying so so eagerly to get Andre Gomez on the score sheet but it just wasn't to be because um, Olympiacos sort of picked up in the last five minutes which is weird um, after such a terrible game by them but uh, yeah another Star performance for, from a five-star getter, the one and only Lionel Andres Messi. I don't really have anything to add as far as Messi goes, uh, but I think he represents a uh, perfect transition that we can put the Olympiacos game behind Barcelona. Of course, they lead the group now after that win over Juventus. They put themselves in prime position to top the group. They've got nine points from three games, obviously, and the next one in the Champions League will be against Olympiacos. Heading to Greece, that PK will not feature in that one from the red card today. So, Frances, do you want to get to, I'd say, I guess, the fun part of our show? Not necessarily the listener question. That's the most fun, of course. But uh, the next fun part of our show, and that is going to be us naming our Barcelona starting 11. Now, how should we do this, Frances? Do you want to give a little bit of context to how we figured out how we're going to choose formation? Or how do you want to go about this? Um... I don't know. I don't know. Uh, basically, before the show, we um, Dan and I sort of email each other and we come up with ideas as such. Um, so what we're going to do today, um, the email just said, let's do our starting 11, uh, all-time best 11 for Barca. So basically, we gave each other no, no guidance as to how to do this. Um, and then before starting the show, I was... <laughs> I'll be honest, I was struggling to get the players that I wanted to get in the 11, so um, I 
basically told Dan that um, he needed a 3-4-3 formation, uh, obviously with a goalkeeper behind, um, simply because I wanted to put one of my players in it and I couldn't do it with a 4-3-3. So we're going to go for Johan Cruyff's classic 3-4-3 formation. And I would say, Dan, maybe you call yours first and I'll go after or whichever way you want. Um, I'm going to start with the keeper. So yeah, let's do it. I'm so excited. Maybe that I'm too excited. But yeah, this is amazing. So let's do it. So my thought is I think we go by, um, I say we go by position. So I'll give my position as far as we go goalie, defense, midfield, attack. Sounds good? Let's do that. Let's do that. Okay. Do that. So the first thing before I do anything else, though, I do want to give an honorable mention because with a 3-4-3, that means we don't have to worry about necessarily the wing back positions. So I just want to make a note that Danny Alves is not in mine because he's just a outside right back and when I was looking before you sent told me to do a 4-3-3 I was setting up in a 4-3-3 and Danny Alves was the only choice for right back third ever player in the league with 100 assists behind Messi and Luis Figo and then my honorable mention for that position and trust me friends as I'm going to throw a lot of names out for people so keep your ears up and keep your googling fingers ready to go to learn about a lot of these players because I have Honorable mentions two, three deep at every position, don't you worry. And my honorable mention at right back is Albert Ferrer. So it's Danny, Alver, Danny Alves and Albert Ferrer aren't going to make my team just because they played at an outside back position at the right back position. So ready to go. We'll start with the goalie. My goalie is Anthony Remayetz, also preferred to be called the Wing Cat, is the nickname he got at the World Cup in 1950. The reasoning for going with him over Anthony Zubizarreta and Victor Valdez was that even though Remayetz won less trophies on a team scale, he did win the Zamora Trophy five times, equaling Valdez's later number, and he had 15 years in goal for Barcelona. And I think the reason I didn't go with Valdez or Zibizarreta over Remayetz is because of how important Remayetz was to the team. He was one of the top two, three players on those teams in the 50s, where Valdez was just a face amongst the crowd. So that's why I went with the player from the 50s. That's great. That really is good. Um, Rama Yetz was actually one of the mentors of the one I picked up. So for, and, and, and before I start, let, let me just say that everyone that I've picked is someone that I've seen play for many, many, many years. So I have gone for, a, you know, 1985 onwards. So my goalkeeper is Victor Valdez, 387 appearances, 12 years in the first team, and I, I didn't want to count all the titles that they won, collective titles that they won. So I'm just going for the major ones, which is Liga and Champions League. So uh, Victor Valdez won six Ligas and three Champions Leagues. And, you know, he was the the instrumental, basic sort of cornerstone of, of Guardiola's Barca. He was able to play the ball on the field. He was, in a way, always starting Barca's builder from the back. And he is... In, in my eyes, a revolutionary uh, because players such as, I don't know, Neuer, um, Ter Stegen and players and, and goalkeepers who play like that now, they have Victor Valdez as someone who did it before them. And in a, in a way, his personality as well, he was so contagious. He was such a winner and he had such courage that for me, he's our starting keeper. All right, let's move on to our defense. I guess I'll name all three of mine, go across the back line. And I think we might have the same 
two of three, but we won't have the third of the same because, as you mentioned, all of your guys are more modern, and I have some oldies but goodies stuck in there as well. And as much as I tried to go on YouTube and find footage of, I barely found anything more than just pictures, but you have to trust those from the past to let us know how good the legends of the past were, so I'm going on a lot of folklore and things like that. I don't need much folklore to know how good Carlos Puyol was, though. He's my first center back there with all of his trophies, five La Ligas, two Copa del Reyes, five Spanish Super Cups, three Champion League, 2006 UEFA Club Best Defender, and that talisman as far as leadership, the guy at the back who you could always trust. He groomed PK. He helped Barcelona under Pep Guardiola become what it was because of his leadership skills. And so for me, Puyol is absolutely one of them, and he's joined alongside Ronald Koeman, the Dutch defender who scored a remarkable 88 goals in six seasons, which if you just saw the number of highest goal getters for Barcelona, Ronald Koeman, his name is way up there with attackers and, and guys you'd expect were playing farther towards goal than Koeman was, but because of how good he was on free kicks and penalty kicks and also scoring that all-important goal in Wembley against Sampdoria in 1992, basically begin the modern era for Barcelona with Cruyff's dream team. Koeman deserves to be there. And then my third, he did play left back, but he could also play center back, and that was Juan Segarra. He led the 1950s Barcelona team with Ramayets to four titles, five Spanish Cups, two Fair Cups in 16 seasons. And for those who never got to see him, myself obviously included, his best qualities were said to be he was a revolutionary in tracking the wingers when they tried to cut inside and try to keep them and force them outside. And also his anticipation to step into passing lanes and do things like that, as opposed to just getting into a physical matchup and back and having a guy back you down and battling in that way. His ability to read the game was just something that we hadn't seen until Sagara came around. And then my honorable mentions for that position were Eric Albidal, Jordi Alba, and Migueli and Gerard Piquet. And Migueli, 391 appearances, 20 goals over his time at Barcelona. Really important to those teams of the late 80s, 90s. Oh, that's really comprehensive. Right, so um, I, I did pick Dani Alves um, because I've gone for a three-back line, but I've only got a centre-back because, you know, we're Barca, we attack. So there's <laughs> a Puyol in the middle. Um, Right-back position goes for Dani Alves. 247 appearances in eight seasons for Barca, six La Ligas won because he was there, and three Champions League as well. He was happiness. He was someone who would zoom forward. And when I, as I said earlier in the podcast today, actually, um, I played football, you know, for many, many years, and I always mirrored myself on Dani Alves. I was a right back and a left back, and then later on, when I wasn't as fast, I became a centre back and a libero, which is a sweeper in English. So, yeah, Dani Alves always has been someone that I've always looked up to. And the way that he connected with Messi, you know, he's still to this day, he's the player who's given Messi more goal assists um, in, throughout his career. And I think he deserves a starting spot. Um, I love what you said about Kuman, but I didn't think of him. Um, but I, I want to say that I remember a goal he scored, I think it was 1991, uh, on the run-up to the first European Champions League that we won. Uh, I think he scored a goal from... It must have been 60 meters. It was just from the halfway line. Um, if uh, our listeners have a bit of time, you can Google that. Or actually, you can go through the show notes and we'll try and put the link in there as well. Like incredible goals from such long distance. It's, it's really mesmerizing. So I've gone for Alves and Puyol. And my third defender is Sergi Barjuan, um, known as Sergi for um, our listeners from outside Spain. So I'm assuming it would be Sergi or something like that. 
267 appearances, nine years. He became a captain in the later stages of, of his career. He won three La Ligas and he has one uh, UEFA Cups Winners' Cup to his to his name as well. I thought I wanted to include someone from the what I call the dark years, uh, from around 2000 to 2003, four, uh, when Barca was nowhere and we really really didn't have much presence in European football. Although we were qualifying, um, sort of going deep into the Champions League, but we never really had a winning team as such. And Sergi Barjohn was great. I really loved the way that he zoomed forward. He was a little bit like Jordi Alba is now, but um, he was a La Masia graduate who would leave his soul and everything he had on the pitch on every single occasion. So that's my back three. Let's move on to midfield. Well, Frances, I dominated the defenders, so why don't you give me your midfields? And I'm interested to see how we do this because we have the four crossed. So I think I would go long here. So why don't you give me your four first? So I've gone for a full midfield line, but it's not a line, it's a rhombus. So, yeah, it's, it's a rhombus. So you've got Busquets in uh, the defensive midfield position. Um, Busquets is unique. Uh, I think when you talk about football these days, you just say, yeah, you know, the Busquets position. And it's something like Madrid fans have done for, yeah, you know, the Makelele position for many years. And 288 appearances, 11 seasons at Barca now, which is very, very easy to say. Um, he's got six La Ligas to his name, three Champions Leagues, and obviously everything that he's he's won for Spain as well. He's been crucial from the very moment he made the first team. He was instrumental and, and he, he's just been there every single time. And if you think about it, who do we have or who have we had that could replace Busquets? We've got nobody. So he really definitely has to be there. Now, ahead of Busquets, I've got Ronaldinho. So basically the attacking midfielder, if you want to call it that, I've got Ronaldinho. Now, Ronaldinho wasn't with us for that long. He had 145 appearances. He played with us for four, five years. He won two La Ligas and one Champions League. But when you compare it to everybody else, it's not a lot of titles won. But the thing with Ronaldinho is that he changed Barca. He was always smiling. He was someone that was cool. He was someone that brought a smile to everyone's face. And he was so contagious. Um, the fact that he mentored Messi when Messi was um, a promising youngster, we'll never be able to repay him for that. you know. And uh, he did help the club grow into what we are today. And I really strongly believe that without Ronaldinho, there's no Xavi in the way that Xavi performed. There's no Iniesta in the way that Iniesta has performed. And there's certainly no Messi at the level that, that he reached. So Ronaldinho undoubtedly needs to be our attacking midfielder for our formation. And that leaves us two spaces. So what I've done, I have widened the pitch a little bit, but my interiores, my interior midfielders would sort of drive towards the center whenever needed and expand out. And I'm going to do them both together. It's Xavi and Iniesta. And I really like to do this. Um, Xavi Iniesta, you know, let's, let's just call them for what it is. It's the best midfield partnership in club history. And you can argue in football history even. Um, let's start with Iniesta, who, as you know, is someone who I really, really love because he was there when my brother was playing. And, you know, I've been following him for longer than anybody else. 419 appearances at first team level, 15 years um, right now, this is his 15th season, eight La Ligas, which is very easy to say as well, eight La Ligas, four European Champion Leagues. Xavi, 
505 appearances, the most ever for any Barca player. 17 years he played for us and he had so many, he didn't score many goals, but, and same with Iniesta even, they, don't score, they didn't score many goals, but when they did, they were so important. I remember um, Van Gaal was, Louis Van Gaal, who was really unpopular at Barcelona, by the way, and was right about to be sacked. And Xavi, I think, scored a header in Valladolid. It was a 1-0 win in the very late stages. Van Gaal would have been sacked. And he saved the coach then. Obviously, Iniesta scored the goal in, um, in Chelsea that led us to you know, European glory. Uh, that everyone remembers, especially where you were at the time. So undoubtedly, and I, I really want to do them together, Xavi and Iniesta make my, my midfield line. Xavi, eight La Ligas and four European Champions League, same as Iniesta. So Dan, how about yours? So I also have Xavi and Iniesta. That one was pretty much always going to be the same. I knew that was going to happen. But I went a little different with my formation. So I basically, because I picked a team that would win every game 100 goals to one so I was willing to push a few more guys forward and have a few more attackers to set up my team that way so the way I did it basically they're playing in a 3-2-2-2 if that makes sense with my two outside guys um, cutting in so the way I went with it obviously my two in the middle of the field are going to be Xavi and Nesta so I was looking at it and just to name my honorable mentions that meant that I had a whole list. I have a list of Sergio Busquets, Pep Guardiola, Michael Ladrup, Josep Samatier from the 1920s and early 30s, Guillermo Amor, Jose Maria Becquero, Iniesta, Bernd Schuster, the German who played 170 games, and then Johan Niskin who played with Cruyff in the 70s, coming over a Dutch midfielder as well. So I had that whole list, and I had to fit that list into two guys. And as you kind of mentioned... It's impossible to go with anybody but Xavi and Iniesta from that list. So I agree with you. Those are the guys to go. And so I don't really have a defensive midfielder because I felt like there were too many attackers I had to fit in. That said, the two guys I have on the wings, on the left wing, for the same reason you pick Ronaldinho, who didn't make my team, I have another guy that I feel like changed the course of club history. And not just as a manager, and you know who it is now, not just as a manager with the Dream Team in the 90s, but... Johan Cruyff, when he came over to Barcelona, he led the team to its first title in 14 years in the 73-74 season. He only had 48 goals in five years in, in 148 appearances, but Cruyff changed with his idea of total football that he obviously was a bigger star at Ajax. He changed the way Barcelona played and took them into their next their next evolution of the way that they were going to play and he began to lay the groundwork that he would then come back and help continue when he would become a manager later so Cruyff as a player and I just don't see how you don't have a guy like that in your 11 with what he was able to do with the ball just revolutionary ideas and on the other side I know you have him as an attacker but I of course put the Argentinian Lionel Messi on my right wing I just felt like with all the attacking strikers and the number of guys we have in the middle of the field, and I'll get to my two forwards when we go to forwards, Messi, I had to get him on the field. And because he's so good on the wing as well, I was able to hide him over there and just leave my strikers to be strikers. So Messi, obviously, we say all we have to say about him every day, even on this show already. So Messi is on my right side. Very interesting. Really interesting. Do you want to do the forward line first then? Uh, I guess, well, let's have you go because I've got 
so I've got, I'll break down my thought process, but you get with your forwards first because you've got now three forwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I've gone for Messi on the right wing for the very same reason that you have. Um, 390 appearances, 13 years already. And let's let's just stop the clock so he doesn't get any older, shall we? Eight La Liga victories, four Champions League, and yeah, pretty much he holds every goal-scoring record for the club in terms of um, all-time best scorer, in terms of you know most goals scored in a season, most goals scored in a single uh, calendar year. He's just, you know, words really do scare me. This guy is incredible. Um, he's really fine football and... You know, honestly, there is football before Messi where people had different records here and there and there's football after Messi. Now every record belongs to him. And we are, hopefully I'm wrong because there may be someone coming up through La Masia who can be better, but let's face it, I think we are looking at the best player to ever play the game and will remain in that position of privilege for centuries to come. This guy is incredible and I really don't see anyone doing anything close to what he has achieved. So, let's go for the left winger then. This left winger is my favorite player growing up um, and is, from Bulgaria, is Hristo Stoichkov. He played 175 appearances for Barca. He played for us for seven years. He won five La Liga seasons and he was, um, you know, Johan Cruyff's favorite attacker. He played every single game when he was here. And he was so fiery and he really defined an era and he added that extra spark to um, Johan Cruyff's dream team that other players just just weren't bringing and he was key to our first ever European Champions League won at Wembley in 1992. Um, obviously that final will forever be remembered by Ronald Koeman's goal in overtime but what many people who probably didn't watch the final may forget or may not know is that Stoichkov actually hit the post um, in the early second half, I think it was. Um, so he could have been the goal scorer in that final. And uh, I really do think that he he helped me grow up. You know, he was my idol growing up. I was never a forward, as, as I just explained earlier. But he was the player that I always look forward to watching. And uh, my brother, who was a winger when he was playing for Barca, always modeled his game on Risto Stoichkov because... We were obviously privileged to go to the Camp Nou very often to watch it. And um, the way that he always widened the pitch, and he was always um, levantando la cal, which means um, standing on top of the, the, the line, the white line that defines the end of the pitch. And that's something my brother always used to do because by widening the pitch that much, then he was able to zoom in towards the middle and um, be more influential and associative going forward. And he has scored so many goals for Barca as well that I really, really didn't want to leave him out. So for the striking position, I'm going for one of my favorite ever as well, but then again, I've said that the whole time, is Samuel Eto'o. 145 appearances, five years playing for Barca. He was a former Real Madrid player who came to us and then was really, really horrible to Madrid, which I really enjoy. Um, he helped us win three La Ligas and two Champions Leagues. And he was in instrumental for both um, but I really like the fact that he won the second Champions League just before leaving us. Um, and he's, he sort of kick-started Pep Guardiola's career on a right foot. He was obviously someone with a really strong, difficult character. Someone who, you know, let's face it, could have been damaging in the long run. But undoubtedly, that character, that, that courage, that self-belief is something that my all-time Barcelona 11 needs up front. So Samuel Eto'o 
is my final one on the striker position. So Dan, over to you. Well, uh, we went a little different with our three strikers because my three strikers, none of them have played for the club in over 50 years. So we're, it's all, uh, we're all going old school with my three strikers. And, then, and it was three names that going through the research and looking at what they did and the sample size and goals, it was just unparalleled until Lionel Messi. I mean, these three guys were the three guys, I think, in club history that just were uncanny when they were playing. There was none like them for the club and particularly for FC Barcelona. And then Messi, of course, comes along and shatters all of their records. So my three strikers, it's basically three out-and-out number nines on this list. I'll go in chronological order. First, I have Polino Alcantara. Now, Polino Alcantara was born in the Philippines, only Filipino to ever to play for Barcelona, moved to Spain when he was three, and winds up, winds up debuting for Barcelona at the age of 15. He actually met Juan Gamper at the, right near when the club was forming. And he, in his time, scored 369 goals in 357 official and friendly matches for Barcelona. And, of course, this comes at a time when more than half of their matches would just be friendly affairs against a a local team or uh, a Catalan number 11 or an English number 11 or what have you. So things were a lot less organized, of course. There weren't leagues in the way that we think of them. But Paulino Acantera was, as what they call, the club's very first superstar. And... It's always interesting, a thought experiment, to think how would he do in an era like this? Well, with how physical and strong players are, again, he might not be the success he was, but in his time, there was no player like him. And so throughout the 20s, he was starring for Barcelona. He was an attraction. He played for the Spanish national team, the Catalan national team, the Filipino national team, and he was just uh, before his time, if you will. Let's go ahead to Cesar Rodriguez, who... For those who don't know his name, you just might know it as the guy who had 294 FC Barcelona goals, the most in club history, until Lionel Messi broke that record. Cesar Rodriguez, 1942, makes his debut, scores 13 goals, and then over the next tons of seasons, being including a member of the 1952 team, the Cinco Copas, as they were nicknamed, he helped the team win five La Ligas, two Copas, or now Copa del Reyes, but at the time the Copas del Generismo, four Copa Eva Duartes, and two Latin Cups. And Cesar Rodriguez, as we talked about, was Luis Suarez, and not the new Luis Suarez, but Spanish Luis Suarez. He was the Luis Suarez before there was a Luis Suarez. He was Cesar Rodriguez, and he was the guy that even gave Barcelona fans hope that as the 50s began, that Barcelona would be able to keep up with Real Madrid as Real Madrid was starting to win in the 50s. But nevertheless, Cesar Rodriguez for me is in the middle. And then my third guy, he was elected by the Sochi's in 1999 as the greatest Barcelona player of the 20th century. And that is Hungarian striker Lazo Kubala. And while Madrid might have Puskas, Kubala was just a different kind of player that as we mentioned, if he was Spanish, I'd say the Camp Nou would, might be named after Kubala. If he was Spanish, but he was Hungarian, and he won four La Liga titles, five Spanish Cups in 11 years, and even though he scored 194 goals, he was another one of those guys, Francis, that revolutionized the position. There's only a few videos of him, and while in the 1954 World Cup, he was banging in goals because Hungary didn't win that World Cup either, you kind of are left with a what-if for Kubala, because again, not only was he dealing with the communist bloc back at home in Hungary, but he also was a guy that was trying to find his footing, and he also helped a lot of other Hungarians 
including Sander Kosis, one of his teammates. He let them come into the team, and he helped Barcelona gain that Hungarian reputation that it had for a bit of the 50s. And he was another one of those guys, like Cruyff before him, like Paulino, like Cesar Rodriguez, who marked a defining moment in the club's history when they just got back to winning. And so for me, those three are my guys. Again, Kubala, Cesar Rodriguez, and Paulino Alcantara. And so that means, as we mentioned, I left off Rivaldo, Romario, I didn't have Edo, but you did. Terry Henry, who of course did more at Arsenal. Diego Maradona, who scored 38 goals in 58 appearances, didn't make our cut. Patrick Kluivert, Julio Salinas, Evaristo de Macedo, and Carlos Reixach. None of those guys made our 11s just because of how talented they were. So we'll put our 11s up online. You can let us know. Obviously, you're probably going to go with Frances here, but you let us know whose 11 you think are better and let us know what your 11s are. More importantly, let us know what your 11 is. That was fun. That was really good fun. Um, I, as I said, we don't really talk before the podcast starts. So, um, yeah, I like the fact you've gone for the oldies. I think they've got loads of great players in yours. Um, but yeah, I just based it on the fact that if I haven't seen them play regularly, um, I didn't want to include them. So let's just do that. Shall we move on to um, the quick fire round? Yeah, I think we have time for about three questions. We're running out of time here, but we're, we just have to handpick three of the best, and if we don't read it today and you're, and you're asking us a question, we're going to try to put it on our next show. Sound good? Yep, let's do that. Okay, so I'll answer a quick one here from Kulay saying, so this is reference to our show on Monday. Ter Stegen, I said, was a potential top to 3-5 goalie, but I said top 10. And so Kulay, or Kulay for Life on Twitter, asked, if not Ter Stegen, who's our top five? And mine is Manuel Neuer, Buffon, De Gea, Courtois, and Lloris of Tottenham, with Oblak possibly being number five instead of Lloris. And then Ter Stegen comes in basically either tied for six or number seven on that bunch. Do you agree with that, Frances? And then we'll move on. Yeah, I agree. I think I would place Lloris a little bit lower and I would place Oblak a little bit higher. But yes, I agree. So we have one from at Mental Riot on Twitter. Now that Iniesta is signed for life, can we finally get Messi signed to a new contract? Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> let's do that. I don't know how we're going to do it. But um, if we put a, you know, maybe we use the force and we try and convince him. Um, yeah, undoubtedly he needs to renew. It's, it's basic for a future. Let's, let's hope that that moment comes very soon. FCB News asked, with Sergi's recent performances at right back, could he actually compete with Semedo for the right back spot? He could. He could. Um, I'm actually surprised that Semedo's not playing that much. But the thing is, Sergi Roberto is doing a fantastic job too. So I think that the fact that there's two great players for that one position is just adding value to the team and making all of us stronger. So yeah, let's do that. Ayush asked, PK's form is quite concerning. Do Barca buy the likes of Mina De Ligt, who plays for Ajax, or Koulibaly, who plays for, I believe, Napoli in January? I think Jerry Mina's coming in anyway. I don't know if he's coming in December or in the summer. I un- my understanding is that he's still injured and he's recovering. But um, yeah, I think M- Mina is a done thing. I think Piquet's form may be concerning, but let's face it, when it matters, Piquet will be there and he will be instrumental once again. So I've got no concerns with Piquet at all. Obviously, a couple of terrible matches recently, but that is not a problem at all. He will pick up when he's needed. And I would say Delict is still a teenager. And while I've, I've watched some highlight videos, him, looks really good. He's not only going to cost a lot of money, but it's just he's not there just yet. 
and Koulibaly seems like he's destined for the Premier League. But as Frances said, Mina of any of the ones is the one to go from there. But I think he should come over expecting to still be behind PK and Umtiti in the pecking order. And then the last question we have time for today from at Design on Twitter. When will Denise get consecutive starts? He deserves to stay, but what's the holdup? I don't know. I don't know. I think that when he's played, he's been really good and he's been fully deserving of time. Um, I'm actually surprised that he's not playing as much as, as obviously our listeners and, and us believe. But Delufeu was great the other day. He's definitely a starter, but for me, he should be the one coming in the second half, say the 60th minute to finish the job. But Valverde obviously disagrees and he's winning every game. We can't really argue with that, can we? So, I don't know. Something to be watching. All right, so I got one more. Just one last question from Charlie Barca. Is Valverde rotation helping the players fit in or not? And that's an interesting one because you wonder when a player like Denise has a really, his last two or three performances were some of his best at Barcelona, and yet now he finds himself on the bench due to rotation, not because of performances, you'd have to say. And with that strong rotation, is that kind of ruining players' form and not allowing guys to play consecutively? But I say when you have all these talented players, the best of the best can pick up a ball and go. And so for Denise, I think it's on Valverde not to have players sit for more than two games in a row. So he's got to keep rotating, but he's got to make sure he's getting those guys in. Yeah, that's it. That's my thought as well. I think in the first third of the season, it really doesn't matter who plays as long as we're getting points and, and picking up victories, which we obviously are. I think the, the more people that are involved, the better and stronger we will be from February, March onwards, which is when things actually get serious in terms of the Champions League. Obviously, La Liga is a long-term um, championship to be to be fought. But, you know, with our 15, 16 best players, we could really go on to win La Liga um, because, you know, the, the crucial matches against Valencia, Sevilla, Atletico and Madrid, you play your ideal 11, whatever the manager decides that is. But I think players like, um, say, say if he wasn't a starter, Sergio Roberto, Denis, Andre Gomez, Paulinho, um, you could argue he's already ahead of Rakitic, which I know is one of the questions that was submitted um, recently. I think it was this afternoon. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of players that can make the starting eleven. so the more the merrier. There may be injuries, uh, there may be unexpected, obviously Dembele is coming back. So, you know, the more the merrier, and um, let's have a huge headache when February comes because we've got 17 players who can make the starting eleven. That would be a great, great position moving forward and will make us favorites for the treble. But we're not there yet. And we like the more the merrier on questions as well. So keep sending us your questions. And even when we have long shows like this, we had a fun show as well. We kept it under an hour for you. So before we go over that, Mark, let's get out of here, Frances. We're all wrapped up for the day, right? Yes, we are. Thank you to our Patreons for their contributions and bringing our show uh, to fruition. Thank you very much. If anyone else wants to chip in, <laughs> you're very welcome to do that. If not, we will see you on Monday. And remember, just give us your starting 11s. We'd love to hear from you and love to hear if there are any players that we missed or didn't mention in those starting 11s. That's your homework for this weekend. And then we'll get back to a Barcelona. have another match back in the league against Malaga in a few short days. And then we'll get to that on next week's show. So thanks so much for listening. Please subscribe on iTunes, share it with a friend. And wherever you listen to your podcast, get the word out of the Barcelona podcast. Bring you the hottest breaking stories from the camp. No. And until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Forza. Forza.